0: Shabbat shalom. So good to see everyone. Did you have a good Passover? Amazing, huh? Just love that. So powerful in every way and really enjoying the idea that Passover is a week long. Actually, it's an octave. It's eight days and uh, eight days of just celebration and focus on the central theme of Yeshua being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, just so much is involved in that and so much to learn from that. It just goes deeper and deeper every year. So uh, just really uh, an amazing time for all of us. I want to remind you that we are in the week of unleavened bread. Eat matzah every day. Don't eat any leavened products. And so uh, the unleavened bread is about unleavened bread. So it's got to be uh, yeast and bread together or flour together and whatever that component is, is what you get rid of in your house. I know some people think it's just yeast and you gotta get all the yeast out. Well, you gotta clear everything out of your house. Every item of food, every drink, because yeast is everywhere, even in the air. So don't go crazy. That is not the correct interpretation. It's leavened bread. So get rid of it and eat matzah all week long. As a reminder, a reminder to what? That he saved us in Egypt in order to bring us out of Egypt. That we're saved by grace through faith. But we're called now that we're saved to come out of our sins, right? To walk out of our sins and into righteousness, into the ways of the Lord. And that's what that week reminds us of. I remember I went over to a friend's house and, um, and we brought matzah because we got invited for dinner. And so they had big dinner rolls uh, at that uh, uh, dinner. And we had matzah. We brought our own crackers, and we said, no, we don't want any rolls. We're going to eat matzah. And, and uh, my friend says, well, why are you eating matzah? I said, well, it's the week of matzah. It's, it's the week we all eat matzah all week long. That's what we do. Well, why would you do that? I said, well, it's a symbol of sin, and this is the time that we focus on coming out of our sins uh, through the power of the sanctifying you know, presence of the Holy Spirit in us. You know. He says, man, that's such a great idea. Man, all week long, that that is, that is remarkable. We, you know, he looked at his wife and said, we should be doing that too, you know. And uh, then she says, Well, actually, this week we eat puffy bread on purpose. Cause it's Easter where you have hot crust buns. So that's our tradition. We I thought, okay, we have a clash of traditions here at our meal table. But it was so good, regardless, it was a great dialogue, and we all had a great meal together. So I want to encourage you this week, uh, eat lots of matzah, and uh, and be sure to ask the Holy Spirit to come and show you any sin that's in your heart that you're unaware of. You know, uh, Shanna shared that story. It was powerful, you know. Uh, I've heard other people share the same things. Uh, you can look for the leaven in your home, the leavened bread in your home, and often overlook things and go, how did I miss that, right? How, you know, has anyone found leaven products like on day two or three or whatever, and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to get it out. Yeah. How do we miss that? It's just the nature of, of, you know, the task. What that is designed to teach us is that sin is the same thing. It's easy to miss. It's because sin is sneaky. It likes to hide, you know, so it's easy to miss it. Yeah. So, so just understand this ritual that we do in the removing of leaven is designed just to teach us the reality of what that's about. And that is searching our hearts to see if there's any sin in our hearts that we haven't dealt with, that God's saying it's time to deal with it, right? We're called to come out of our own Egypts of sin and shame. I'll tell you another story, really close friend, just love this guy. Grew up in a home that was pretty broken, and uh, dad was a wreck, and uh, he would go from one uh, relationship to the next and uh, the kids only stayed with them for, uh, you know, a short amount of time, really, and then ended up in, in like, you know, other homes, sometimes family homes, sometimes foster, just moved around, and and uh, this, this friend of mine, he told me, he says, you know, uh, my dad's dying, he's in his 80s, and I've never had a, 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 a good relationship with him, he says, I was so hurt and so crushed growing up, he says, I've just been angry at him for all these years, and and he says, and now, and now he's sick. He's very weak. And uh, I, I, I got to go and help him, you know? And, and he says, I, I really don't know what to do. In fact, he told me, he says, you know what? I decided I just got to get off my chest. I'm going to go help my dad. But I'm going to tell my dad, dad, you know, I need to let you know, you know, what you did really hurt me. He, he said, I had a list of things that he had done that I'd never gotten over that I needed to dialogue with him on. And I needed to, to you know, confront him. And then after, afterwards, everything would, you know, I, I would do what I needed to do to help him. He says, uh, it took a lot of courage to, to, you know, when I got there, to say what I was going to say. He says, and I'd been praying about it for a long time. And he said he said, the Lord told me, before you say anything to your dad, you need to tell your dad that you're sorry for the times in which you were not a good son. Thought, okay, Lord, I'll do that. I can do that. Because I'm not a perfect son, you know. He says, I wasn't perfect either. So he told his dad, he says, Dad, I got some things I want to share with you. And 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 please, you know, just listen to me and and let me let me express these. And and he said to his dad, he says, I, I want to start by saying, I'm sorry, because I wasn't always a good son. And his dad said, Stop it. He said, Look, and he says, My dad, his eyes filled up with tears. Stop it. Stop it. He says, don't say that. He says, you were a good son. He says, I'm the one that needs forgiveness. He says, I was not a good father. He says, when my dad said that to me, he says, all all that anger, all that stuff that I had built up and held onto, he says, it just lifted off me. It just, it was gone in an instant. He says, we just hugged. He says, I didn't have to say anything. There was nothing to say. He says i was able to fully forgive him without even dialoguing isn't that amazing we can carry something for for years and years and years and the lord can just lift it from us in a moment when our hearts are right and we allow him to direct it and so i want to encourage all of us you know uh, we all have stuff that we carry we all have hurts we all have hang-ups and uh you know it's like shannon was saying you know the lord is our deliverer right we don't have to deliver ourselves we just have to say lord Show me the stuff that you want me to work on. Show me, show me what you want me to do and what you want me to be. And I'll walk in that by your spirits. I'll do that by your spirits. And that's how we apply the week of unleavened bread, its symbols and meanings, to our lives. That's how we live the reality of the week of Passover. Hallelujah. All right. So now I'll get to the second sermon. It's my Passover series. I'm in part three. So thank you. You can stay. <laughs> we're going to we're going to talk about first fruits in the resurrection of Jesus. This is Holy Week. This is our Holy Week. It starts with Passover, but there's a number of holy days associated with this week. And first fruits is one of them. So we're going to talk about first fruits and the resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes we we so dismiss The resurrection of Jesus, a focus just on Passover, that in some ways uh, we do ourselves a disservice uh, to the week of Passover. Passover includes the resurrection of Jesus. And I know, you know, Sunday's coming, and and that's the uh, uh, time of first fruits. Um, There's two ways to reckon that. That's one of the ways to reckon that. Um, And the church, well, they call it Easter. And sometimes we just go crazy with, you know... uh, um, just, just, just information that isn't always accurate. You know, for instance, uh, you know, we say, oh, you know, Easter is actually Ishtar. You know, Easter's, We 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 derive the word Easter from Ishtar. It's pagan. Actually, it's not. Easter is not derived from the word Ishtar. In fact, they're totally different words in totally different languages. They have no relationship whatsoever, except for phonetic sound. Ishtar Easter. Oh, and so we think there's some kind of connection. No, that's just bad scholarship. Let's not embarrass ourselves with those kind of arguments. You know, we need to do a better job. And I say instead of trying to uh, expose the darkness, we should just be ones that bring the light. Let's talk about what we do know the scriptures are saying, that this is the week of Passover, and within that week he died. And rose again on the third day and we can all celebrate that regardless of what denomination we 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 come from so jumping into first fruits it is the day following the Sabbath of Passover Sabbath is an eight-day festival there's always a Shabbat in that week and the day after the Shabbat every year is the same day it's Sunday Sunday is the day after the Shabbat of Passover. And that marks the festival called First Fruits. It is a celebration of the early spring harvest of barley. It was a symbol of life from death, the dead of winter, right? When everything's dead, and the big symbol of winter is death. And in spring, you begin to see everything coming out of the ground, right? Guess what comes out of the ground first in the Middle East? The barley. The barley is the early uh, uh, life that that comes up out of the ground and so they would take that barley and they would take the first fruits and offer it to the Lord as a way of saying thanks for life from the dead so these are the types and shadows of the festival and they find their fulfillment in Yeshua's resurrection from the dead in his physical resurrection we see what we all will receive when he returns In his bodily resurrection, we get a glimpse at what we're all going to get when he returns. An indestructible, powerful, glorified body with hair and no limitations. So what looked like defeat in his death proved to be a victory vindicated by a stunning resurrection from the dead on Sunday morning. Which, according to some very educated, powerful members of the Sanhedrin, was in fact on first fruits. So today, we will look a little bit deeper at first fruits in this holy week of Passover. Leviticus 23, this is where it all begins 9 through 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land that I'm going to give you, Uh, and you reap its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits of the harvest to the priest. It's in reference to the barley. Verse 11, he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all of your dwelling places. So they're going to bring the sheaf before the Lord and they're going to wave it before the Lord in order for the people of Israel to be accepted by the Lord. What's that all about? It's very, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, there's a lot here to unpack and I haven't unpacked it all. I don't think anyone's unpacked it all. Suffice it to say. There's something about first fruits that deals with our being accepted before the Lord, atoned for at Passover, right? Yeah. But first fruits has something to do with the, our acceptance before the Lord. And it's very significant. And for that reason, God says, I want you to keep this in memorial in every generation until the world comes to an end. So let's look at this. What does it mean? Whatever it is, it's super important. Let me state that all the Gospels testify that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried on Friday of Passover week. That's indisputable. All four Gospels make that point. In fact, let me give you just one, John chapter 19, 13 through 15. When Pilate heard what they had said, he took Jesus outside and sat on the judge's seat in a place called Stone Pavement. In Hebrew, it is called Gabbatha. Verse 14, the time was about noon on the Friday of the Passover festival. Pilate said to the Jews, look, here's your king. All four Gospels make the point that the passion of Christ and his crucifixion and his death occurred on Friday. They use a technical term in the Greek, periscue. We translate preparation day. It's code for Friday. It's a technical term. It only means Friday. It's never used in relationship to any other day. Just Friday. This is how we know that he was crucified on Friday. And the, well, the, the evidence is overwhelming. Then the Jews shouted, I'm sorry, verse 14. The time was about noon on Friday of Passover festival. Pilate said to the Jews, look, here's your king. Then the Jews shouted, kill him, kill him, crucify him. Pilate asked them shall I crucify your king? The chief priests responded, the emperor is the only king we have. So if you want more more information on that, we have a little booklet out on our um, book rack, and it's called, I think, The Day of Preparation. But you can grab that on the way out if you want to have more information about that. Now I can hear people saying, I can hear right now in protest, you cannot get three days and three nights from a Friday afternoon to a Sunday morning You know, take that, pastor. I agree. I agree. If one is a hyper-literalist and has no grasp on first-century Jewish culture and language. See, if you're a Jew in the first century, you would count time inclusively, not exclusively. And any part of a day would include the whole day and the whole night. And that's how Jews counted time, and that's how they reckoned it. So when they said three days and three nights it, it could be part of friday all of saturday and part of sunday and you would call that three days and three nights that's how that's their culture their language their idioms so if you want more information i got another booklet called uh three days and three nights so get that it has all the sources and you can read that for yourselves i don't have time to go into it suffice it to say The evidence is irrefutable that Jesus was crucified dead and buried late on Friday afternoon. And then he rises from the grave on Sunday morning. Turn with me to John chapter 20. We'll look at the first 18 verses. It says, now on the first day of the week, what's that code for? Sunday. It's Sunday. So the Jews counted time related to the Sabbath. It would be day one, Sunday, right? They say day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. But they would to say day six. What would they say? Periscue. Now they'd say day of preparation. And then they'd say the Shabbat. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, Periscue, Shabbat. So first day of the week, Sunday. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Now, now at night when the sun sets and it goes below the horizon, it's still light out for quite some time, isn't it? It's still light out. Yeah. Now, I assume that's the way it is in the morning. I just never get up before sundown. But those who have gotten up before sundown have told me it's light considerably, you know, Uh, uh, before the sun appears, and that's true. And so this is early in the morning before the sun rises, Mary's already at the tomb while it is still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb, or yes, from the tomb. Remember the song Rattle that came out? I think that was, uh, was it Bethel or one of the groups came out with a song really popular last year called Rattle? And one of the phrases in the song is, Friday's disappointment is Sunday's empty tomb. You got to love that. So powerful. So here's the resurrection of Jesus. In the midst of chaos and disappointment and and a lot of fear, he rises in a stunning, powerful, earth-shaking event. Verse 2, so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple who Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord from the tomb and we do not know where they have put him. Then Peter and the other disciple went out and were going to the tomb and the two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And bending over to look, he saw the stripes of linen cloth lying there, though he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came also after following him and he went into the tomb and saw the uh, strips of linen cloth lying there and the face cloth was on his head not lying with the strips of linen cloth but folded separately in one place so the other disciple who had come to the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed For they did not yet know the scripture that it was necessary for him to rise from the dead they did not anticipate that they did not understand that they are confused mary thinks someone stole the body Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. Then while she was weeping, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have put him. When she had said these things, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not touch me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Isn't that interesting? She goes to embrace him, and he says, No, 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 don't touch me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. What does that mean? You know, what, what, what's he referring to? But go and tell my brothers, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Now, the connecting points have to do with the types and shadows. He's fulfilling all of the types and shadows of the week of Passover. Think about this for a moment. The Sadducees were a smaller sect of Judaism than the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the larger sect, and they were like the the, kind of the middle class, lower middle class in Israel. The Sadducees were the wealthy elites. They held the influential seats in the Sanhedrin and in the temple. They were kind of in the most influential places there. They would be celebrating on this day. A very elaborate celebration surrounding the festival of first fruits that we just read about in Leviticus. They would have already harvested the early barley grain, They would have went out in the early morning, the priests from the temple to meet a group of people that had the barley and they would have a procession back to the temple, singing and dancing. They'd have liturgy and it was a very uh, uh, um, elaborate celebration and ceremony of bringing in the barley, according to Leviticus 23, into the temple. And when they got there, they'd have a designated priest take some of that barley and he would lift it up in front of the altar and he would wave it back and forth. In fact, he would turn and wave it in all directions towards heaven before the Lord. Why? In order for the people of Israel to be accepted by the Lord. This was done every year, this ritual. And it was so powerful And this was the time in which God would accept his people based on the sacrifices made at Passover. And it's on this day that Jesus is coming out of the grave. And he's telling Mary early in the morning, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended. The priests They're going to the temple. They're going to be in the temple and they're going to be lifting up the barley and waving it and Jesus is going to be ascending into the heavenlies on first fruits and he's going to be presented in the true temple of God in front of all of the heavenly beings, myriads and myriads of angels and the creatures in heaven and the elders in heaven and the throne of God and he's presented in front of everyone and honored and exalted as the as the Lamb of God who shed His blood and now is ascended as first fruits from the dead so that we who believe in Him would be embraced and accepted by God once and for all. Once and for all. This is the power of the resurrection of Jesus. That in that resurrection and ascension we are accepted before the Lord and Paul develops this teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 20 through 26 Paul says this but now Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who are asleep now Paul could have said that a lot of different ways but if you'll note he says first fruits from those who are asleep It's a very Jewish phrase that has a lot of uh, connection with the festival called First Fruits. And I believe Paul, being a Jew, is trying to communicate these eternal truths and that Jesus is fulfilling them, right? And he's saying that Jesus' resurrection is the fulfillment of the promise of life from the dead just as we see it in nature, right? The barley is what? Life coming out of the deadness of winter, communicating that in God we have life out of the dead. From the dead we rise and live forever. And Jesus is the first one to rise and receive a indestructible, physical, spiritual, indestructible, glorified body. He's the first one. So he's called the first fruits of the dead in fulfillment of first fruits. Now I want us just to think about that for a moment. You know, when he came out of the grave, guess what happened? I think it's in John. It says there were others that came out of the graves too. There were other people that came out of their graves too. And it said that they appeared to many in Israel over over a period of like, I don't know how many days. There was like, you know, Plenty of days in which they walked around and talked to people, interacted with people. What an experience that would be, right? Talking to someone who had died earlier is like, oh my gosh, is this even real? And then, of course, they ascended into heaven too. And that group in heaven, that group in heaven of Jesus and those few that were raised was like that early barley harvest where the priest takes some of it and lifts it up. And the promise of that is this, that if God has given life early on through the barley, it's the promise that the fuller harvest will come in, provision God will provide. And just as Jesus rose and a few rose with him, the promise is all the rest of us too will rise at the end. We too will be gathered in just like they've been gathered. Jesus is the fulfillment of first fruits. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Verse 23, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, after that, those who were Christ's at his coming. He's the first fruits. The later harvest, that's us. And we're gonna rise from the dead when he returns. And oh, what a day that's gonna be. Oh, what a day that's gonna be. Man, I cannot even fathom the joy. I I think we'll fall and weep and laugh and hiccup and dance and, you know. It's like the songwriter said, I can only imagine. But that day's going to be like, you know, what am, what am I going to do? I, I can't even anticipate what I'm going to do. You, know, you don't know what you're going to do when you're in that overwhelming presence of glory and that transformation that comes with that resurrection. Verse 24, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father. And when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. And death is an enemy. It's not a friend. Death is an enemy. But in Christ, we will overcome death. We will be victorious. We will have a stunning and triumphant resurrection. Oh, my gosh. You know, I look in the mirror, brushing my teeth every night, thinking, oh, man, you sleeping with my woman? I'm thinking, what happened to me? I look so old. I don't look old now because I can't see myself. But I get in front of the mirror. I'm thinking, what is the deal? You know, all of that's reversed. You know, I I, I do. I think what's going to happen is this: we're gonna we're gonna be transformed but recognizable. Yeah, I do. I'm gonna have my hair back. I do believe that because I believe. I I don't know. I this is this is speculation. Okay, this is BS. Bad scholarship. But I think we're all going to be like 20. We're going to be like in our prime. We're all going to be in our prime and we're all all going to look our best and we're going to be just overwhelmed with the eternal, indestructible makeover. We're just going to look at each other and say, you're so beautiful. You know, it's going to be great, all of us. What a day that's going to be. And we have a taste of that, right? We have a taste of that in the Holy Spirit. You know, that joy that's in us, that's unspeakable and full of glory, that peace that governs us in the midst of crisis and discouragement and trauma. We have that peace. See, see, that's all a part of heaven that's coming. We have a taste of it now, and then we're going to have it in its fullness. So in light of that, how should we live, right? How should we live? I believe this is how we should live. He came to them in Egypt. They weren't looking for him. He came looking for them. And he saved them in Egypt in their slavery. And then after saving them, he led them out of Egypt. All of us were saved because he came looking for us. No one was looking for him. He came looking for us. And we responded to his grace. And he came in and caused us to be born again. And now he's saying, hey, son, daughter, let's come out of Egypt. And that journey out of Egypt is one step at a time, one day at a time. It doesn't happen all at once. It's a journey. It's a journey. So let's take that next step this week. Let's take some steps. Let's do some business with God. Let's say, God, what, what are some areas of my life that I need to really kind of put behind me now? You know, what God allowed last year, he won't allow this year. There's always some measure of that every year. So what is that for you, right? Think about it. Do I have envy in my heart? Do I have jealousy in my heart? Do I have greed in my heart? Do I have lust in my heart? Do I have unforgiveness in my heart, and bitterness? What, what, what is it? God, let's do some business. Show me your perspective. I want to take another step out of my Egypt. Yeah, that's the meaning of of this week of Passover. I'm going to close uh, by saying tomorrow is first fruits resurrection day. So I want to encourage people. uh, That is a holy day. Uh, Take that time off. Be with your family, eat, eat some good food and, and, and play with the kids and make it a family day, a day of rejoicing and exalting the risen Lord. Share your faith with those around you. You know that, you know, you know, I mean, we go round and round and round in this cycle of the redemptive calendar, right? This is like my 30th Passover. It's like, great, you know. Yeah, I kind of get it now. I mean, but what, you know, what do I do now that's like 30 going on 31 or whatever? It's like, no, you share it with others. At a given point, you have now this beautiful set of truths and you're called as a representative of Jesus to share those with others and bring more people in so that the kingdom can advance and grow. So let's look for opportunities to share the love of God and the power of the resurrected Messiah. Shabbat shalom, haksameach, happy week of Passover, and uh, may your week be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please please stand for the Aaronic benediction.